Hey there, third graders. It's Miss Hayes here with chapter 19 of our read aloud. Um, we actually only have two more chapters after this. So, woo, we're getting to the end. At the end of chapter 18, um, we were in Little Bear's village and the Algonquins were attacking. The teepee was uh, starting to catch on fire and Boone was shooting Indians from inside the teepee. So, Let's go right into chapter 19, The Terror of the Battle. From the dark heart of the fear, Omri heard a new sound. He could see nothing now, but through the snapping of the flames, which were already licking at him, came a sudden, deafening rattle. Then, isolated bangs, nearer and nearer. With no other warning, something exploded almost under him. The teepee crashed to its side. Omri felt it on top of him. The fire noise stopped, and so did the smoke, though the smell was still there. The falling teepee had put the flames out. There was a sensation of heaviness, then of threshing. Then he could hear Boone's rich cursing as he struggled to get out of the crumpled, half-burnt folds of the tent. In his struggles, he turned the whole thing over. Now Omri was staring up at the night sky. He could see the stars with smoke drifting close above him and the reflection of a central bonfire on a few pine tops. A cowboy boot loomed for a second against the starlight and then came down, narrowly missing Omri. Boone stood above him, astride him, firing into the surrounding darkness once, twice. Take that, you flea-bitten coyote, he yelled, then a click. Omri found that he had been counting. Found Omri found he had been counting. That was the sixth and last bullet. The rattle came again, closer, and Boone flung himself down on the fallen teepee, on Omri. Omri could smell his sweat now, feel how his heart was thundering through his shirt. Here, muttering a, mix, muttering a mixture of curses and prayers. The machine gun bullets whizzed overhead. There was the numbing crash of another hand grenade exploding somewhere near the big fire. Now, to the noise of explosions were added shrieks and screams of terror and other shouts, war cries, as Little Bear's men descended from ambush onto the, hap, onto the hapless Algonquins. Omri heard the thunder of a single pair of hooves drumming on the ground beneath him. Boone rolled aside, and almost at the very same moment the stars were blotted out, as the pony cleared teepee, boon, and all in a wild leap. As it galloped on, Omri caught a glimpse of Little Bear on its back, waving a rifle above his head, riding down three fleeing Algonquins. The noise of the firing was now continuous and deafening. Omri could see the flash of large and small explosions in the dark. The tide of the battle swept to and fro chaotically. Twice or three times, small groups of Indians, whether friends or enemies Omri couldn't tell, raced across the fallen tent. One tripped over Boone and went flying. His bare foot scraped Omri's face. It was the nightmare to end nightmares. Utterly powerless, unable to move or escape or fight back or even close his eyes and ears, Omri had long since stopped hoping that some miracle would save him. He had totally forgotten Patrick, forgotten his other life. He was a helpless witness to the chaos and carnage of war. He was part of it, yet not part of it. It seemed it would go on forever or until some kind of oblivion engulfed him. Then, in the tenth part of a second, it ended. The noise, the smoke, the cries, the terror, the helplessness, gone. Silence. He laid curled up in darkness on something hard. He could feel his body, his wonderful three-dimensional body. Light fell on him and warm air, and he heard Patrick's voice with panic in it, calling his name. He lifted himself slowly. One hand clutched the edge of the chest. The other went to the right side of his face. Patrick was staring at him aghast, as if he saw a stranger. Omri, are you all right? 
Omri didn't answer. The side of his head felt funny. He took away his hand, and some black stuff was on his fingers. Something was odd about his nose, too. He felt something running out of it. He looked down. There was blood on his sweatshirt. What's happened to you? You look... Your nose is bleeding, and your hair... None of that mattered. The blood and the singed and blackened hair meant nothing. They didn't give him any pain or fear, at least none that he could fear, call fear now. Stiffly, Omni crawled out of the chest, trying to get his mind back together, to clear it, and to adjust. Patrick was babbling something about Omri's mother. She just came in. I couldn't do anything. She made me go downstairs to the phone, and then she wouldn't let me go back up again. She kept asking where you were. She delayed me. I was going crazy. She wouldn't let me go. Omri, I'm sorry. You look terrible. As if you'd nearly been killed or something. What happened? Is it over? Should we bring the others back? Omri had a pad of something pressed to his nose. His head, where the fire had licked, was beginning to sting. It was awfully hard to think. He remembered what Boone had said about Little Bear and kept repeating to himself, Poor critters had a shock. Poor critter. The poor creature was now himself. The others. He turned suddenly. Get Boone back. Not the others, but get Boone. Hurry. Patrick snatched up the plastic teepee and Boone's figure from under it. Don't forget his hat, Omri said idiotically. Patrick scrabbled about in the earth of the seed tray and almost threw it after the figure in the tent. He slammed down the lid of the chest, turned the key. If only he's not dead, breathed Omri. His head was beginning to ache piercingly from the burnt side. Patrick threw up the lid again. They looked down in the belly of the chest. The teepee was a crumpled wreck, twisted and black. Boone lay on top of it. He was very still. For one horrible moment, Omri thought a stray bullet or the blast from an explosion must have killed him. But then, he raised his red head and looked up at them. Is it, o- is, is it over? He called. It's over for us, Boone, said Omri. Gently, he lifted him out. Was you there, too? Where was you, son? You were lying on me part of the time, said Omri. Boone didn't try to figure this out. Dang me if it wasn't the most fearsomest thing I've ever been through in my entire life. Me too, said Omri, seriously. Patrick was staring at them. Have I missed it, he said. Is it over? I don't know, said Omri. With a sudden movement, Patrick leapt into the chest. What are you doing? cried Omri, although he knew full well. Send me back. I've missed everything and you've seen it. Send me back. No. You've got to. It's only fair. Never mind fair. You don't know what you're talking about. It was... Never mind that you missed it. You're lucky. But it's no use. I wouldn't send you now for a million pounds. Patrick saw he meant it, and when he looked at Omri's face, brave as he was, he couldn't really be sorry. He climbed slowly out again. Tell me about everything, Patrick said. Omri told him with Boone chipping in. Boone had accounted for three, possibly four Indians before he ran plumb out of bullets. You'd better do something about that bone, Patrick said at the end. Yeah. What, though? You're going to have to let your mum see it sometime. How'll I explain it? And my nosebleed? Patrick said the nosebleed was nothing. We could have had a fight. The burn was the real problem. Half the hair on that side of his head was gone, and there was a big red blister. Well, you don't have to worry about explaining it now. They've gone out. Who? Your lot, your parents, and your brothers. Is the babysitter here? Not yet. She's late. Can you cope until morning? Omri didn't know. He was he supposed so. He was ashamed to admit how his heart had sunk when Patrick said his mother wasn't in the house. He suddenly wanted her. He wanted to tell her everything and let her take care of it and him. 
Well, he couldn't, and that was all. Just as well, perhaps. Boone, exhausted, flopped down in the longhouse for his sleep after flinging back the last of the whiskey. Patrick and Omri slipped down to the next floor bathroom and found some ointment, which Omri rubbed on his own head. The sight of himself in the mirror scared him silly. His face was white, red, and black. He felt he could be doing with some whiskey himself, but he made do with an aspirin. "'What about the others?' said Patrick. "'I don't know.' Omri felt the whole thing had gone well beyond his control. Having seen Boone, Little Bear, and Bright Stars full size, he could no longer think of them in the same way. Some part of him, until the battle, had still thought of them as his. Not toys, exactly, but belonging to him, within his orbit. This illusion was now gone. What was happening back in the village? Whatever it was, he was responsible for it. He couldn't avoid the realization that he had sent devastating modern weapons back in time, and that they had certainly killed people. Baddies, of course, but... Who were bad people? If Patrick a year ago had made him a present of some other plastic Indian, it might just as well have been an Algonquin, and then the Iroquois would have been the bad guys. Suddenly, Omri felt the nightmare was not there, but here. I think we should bring them back, said Patrick. Bring them back if you want to, said Omri, who suddenly felt tired to death. I've got to sleep. He started back up the stairs to his room and stopped. Not up there. He wanted neutral ground. He turned around and went down again. "'Where are you going?' asked Patrick. "'Down to the living room. I'm going to sleep on the sofa.' "'What when the babysitter comes?' "'Shove her in the breakfast room.' He stopped and met Patrick's eyes. "'Don't do anything stupid,' he said. "'I really can't cope with any more.' "'I'll take care of everything,' said Patrick. Omri went on, his feet like lead weights. In the living room, he didn't even put the light on. He just threw himself on the sofa, where in two minutes, he was fast asleep.' And that is the end of chapter 19. Stay tuned for chapter 20.